want to begin our time this morning asking God to attend to us as I preach this passage to us. I think I have failed in my leadership to you in leading us in that way before we preach, and so I want to begin this morning and probably from here on out praying before we open the Word of God together. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, I thank you for the opportunity to open your word. We thank you that you have given it to us and that it is absolute, authoritative, inerrant, infallible. You are right in every way, and any time we get it wrong, it's because we have somehow gotten it wrong, not because you are wrong. Lord, we need your superintending to our minds and our hearts to receive what you have brought for us this day. Take my words and make them not my words, but yours. And whatever is confusing and challenging and difficult and misunderstood, may it be washed away in a supernatural deafness so that only you are heard. Teach us now, through the power of your Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please take your Bibles with me this morning and open them to Romans chapter 5. I will say on the outset, just in reference to Russ's comment, tonight's message has nothing to do with me and everything to do with Jesus Christ and his final words to a saved people. So if it's my final words, I got something, somebody's got to tell me something because I... I might change my message if that's the reality. Anyway, come back for John tonight. It's a joy that we have the privilege to continue to look into this wonderful doctrine that we have spent several weeks on now, the doctrine of justification. It has been a riveting look for me as a Christian and as a pastor into this rich truth, and I think I need to say at the outset that as Christians, as evangelical Christians, we must not let ourselves be lulled into thinking that this doctrine is not as important as it truly is for us and for our everyday lives. I think sometimes that we can get that idea, and we can, as Christians, relegate the doctrine of justification and our understanding of it to some kind of secondary place, and place it, if you will, in a hierarchy of doctrines in our mind or biblical truth in our mind. We we relegate it to a place whereby we make the doctrine of sanctification more primary in our mind. We tend to gravitate towards sanctification. That's natural. What I mean by sanctification is the reality of how we live out our Christianity, how we are in practical ways being set apart by the Spirit of God in our lives in obedience to the truth. That's sanctification in its practical sense. We're not talking about sanctification in the positional sense where we are holy before God through Jesus Christ. That's a done deal. Nothing has to be done there God is, though, however, sanctifying us in practical ways in our life. 
And sometimes we relegate that to the higher ground, the practical outworking of our saving faith. I mean, oftentimes we, we're there, right? We're living in that. We tend to think of that doctrine more because I believe that we truly desire to obey as Christians. We want to. We desperately want to oftentimes. And so we think most about how it is we're to be living. But I want us to understand that we could not live as we ought to. We cannot carry out in practical ways the doctrine of sanctification in our lives, nor can we become like Christ in obedient practice, and we will in fact be less effective in our Christian lives if, we do not first understand the doctrine of justification and see the role that it has in our everyday Christian life. We will not be effective in sanctification if we do not first understand and embrace the realities of our justification. To say it another way, There are practical results for our Christian lives because of our justification. And therefore, we must understand justification in order to grasp the full impact of those results for our lives. And through that understanding, we ought to more effectively live as we ought to in our faith. So, this is the premise, if you will. This is the basis for our study this morning. An understanding of the realities of the doctrine of justification in order to equip us to be more effective, if you will, in our lives of sanctification. And so I would like us to focus our attention this morning and our worship of God through the study of Romans chapter 5, and I want to focus our attention on verses 1 through 5, where we are going to begin today to see some of the results of justification, or some of the results of being justified. That ought to motivate us in our sanctification in very specific ways. We might call these, as I've entitled the message, the fruit of understanding our justification. The fruit of understanding our justification before God. Now, I want to read these verses for us this morning as we begin. Beginning in chapter 5, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, But we also exult in our tribulations, knowing 
that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We live in a world, at least here in the West, where the word guarantee has very little value. We buy cars that come with limited guarantees. We buy electronics that come with limited guarantees. In fact, as you stand at a checkout for most electronics, I'll say, do you want to buy a greater guarantee? Useful equipment comes with a guarantee. Even marriage vows that we stand before one another and we say things to one another, in, in a sense, is saying I'm giving you a guarantee. And it used to be that when someone said it, when they said that it came with a guarantee, it was as if you could actually count on it. As if it was already a done deal. It just hadn't been enacted yet. In other words, if the thing broke, you could count on the fact that it would be fixed. Just bring it back. We'll fix it. It's a done deal. Your product is guaranteed. Guarantee was something you could count on. Not so much anymore. Not so much. That is... Not so when we are speaking of spiritual justification. I'm so thankful that's not how God thinks. I'm so thankful that God's guarantee is a real guarantee. We are reminded at the outset of these particular verses of everything that we ought to be remembering about what has already been said concerning justification. Apostle Paul has spent much time defining and, and elaborating and teaching and undergirding all that he has said concerning the reality of faith in Jesus Christ and the certainty at which when someone has faith in Jesus Christ, they are by God declared righteous before him. Paul has spent much time telling us all of those things. All of the glorious truths concerning the truth of declared innocence before God and by God. That ought to be in our minds every day, Paul is saying. As a Christian who believes in Jesus Christ as your Savior, that reality ought to be in your mind every single day. Justification is just that. It is declared innocence by God. It is declared innocence before God in Jesus Christ. That ought to be on the forefront of your mind every day. The reality that all who believe in Him, that He raised Jesus Christ from the dead, 
also have to realize, we also actually realize, whether we have thought about it or not, we realize that that Jesus Christ raising from the dead, that God raising him from the dead is in fact, as we said here on the Lord's Resurrection Day, that is God's stamp of approval upon the validity. You know what validity is? Guarantee. It is God's stamp of approval upon the validity of our justification. That what God did through Jesus Christ and what he has declared in Jesus Christ is ours. Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, proving that we who believe actually have the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. So Paul, right here in verse 5, begins with that great emphasis. He says, therefore, therefore, Now, it is right for us as professing believers to pause here for a moment, to not move on so quickly through what he is saying. And it is right for the simple reason that we as Christians very often fail to have victory over sinful practices. We very often find ourselves battling sinful things or not battling them at all and finding no victory at all over sinful practices or we just give in too much, way too easily to worldly temptations, fleshly lusts, worldly desires because because we do not fully embrace On the negative side, if I said that negatively, we, do, we, we actually doubt the absoluteness of the guarantee of God. We actually doubt what we have been given in and through the gracious transaction of justification. In other words, we, what we have in God's eyes, declared innocence before Him, seems on a daily basis to be so easily forgotten and therefore isn't used as fuel for our Christian living. And yet, here's what Paul is telling us. Therefore, therefore, having been justified. In other words, in light of the reality of justification, in light of what I've said to you, in light of the fact that he was delivered up because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification, verse 25 of chapter 4, in light of all of that, in light of everything I've said before that, in light of all of that, in light of the reality of the actual justification, in light of the fact that you have been justified by faith, Here is how you're supposed to live. Chapter 5 and following is really the idea that you need to have settled in your heart and mind that faith in Jesus Christ puts you in a place that you could never have gotten there by yourself. It has put you in a place by the hand of the mercy of God by which when you understand the fullness of that, you ought to live totally differently. 
chapter 5 and following in Romans is seating that in us. It is cementing that truth in us. So listen, if we truly believe, if we who are professors of Jesus Christ, that we believe Him who raised Him from the dead, we believe what God has said concerning His Son and concerning our sin, if we if we believe that, if we are truly resting our justification before God, in the the gift of His righteousness that He has given to us through faith in Jesus Christ, if we believe that, then we have been justified. You understand that, right? If you believe that, and it is true of you, then you have been justified. It is a fact. It is an eternal fact. It is a settled fact. It is an unchanging fact. In fact, if it changes, then God is not immutable. God is not God. If God is not God, then we have no hope at all. It has taken place, Paul says. It is done. It is completed. It is a finished action by God on your behalf. So, Paul says, here then are the results that you must realize. Here are the results that you must realize. And the knowledge of these results ought to fuel your obedient dependence upon God in everything. Maybe maybe it's better said this way. If we really see and if we truly believe the truth, brought to us through the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And if that faith truly rests upon Christ and His work on the cross for us, on behalf of us, then the outcome of that faith ought to be reflected in our lives by how we live by that. Because there is absolute security in that faith. If we truly believe in what we have learned and what we have been taught and what the scriptures declare for us here in Romans chapter 4 and parts of Romans chapter 3 and and the reality of what God has done by declaring us righteous before Him, if that actually has taken place by, by way of faith in Jesus Christ, by faith alone, and that faith truly rests there on Jesus Christ, that's exactly who we are believing in and His work for us, then the outcome of that faith ought to be reflected in how we live by that faith because of the absolute security in that faith. This is what is on the mind of the Apostle Paul as he transitions from chapter 4 to chapter 5. So notice then the first result of the absoluteness of justification. This is, this is so monumental. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. 
because of the guarantee of justification, we have peace with God. Please listen, dear people. Please listen to this. I was here yesterday for part of the work day talking to a few men and they were they were they asked me a question and when it's boiling in you it just comes out and so they were getting some of this. <laughs> there is no more precious words for us to hear, no more precious words for us to grasp and know than those three words. Peace with We live in a world where it seems more and more that peace is an elusive concept. Turmoil is all around us. It is in the home. It is in the workplace. It is in society at large. It is in our nation. It is in the world. And yet, here's the scriptures. They come along and they say these incredible words. We have peace with God. Not not we in general. Not we as a society, not we as a world, not we as a people, not even we collectively in any kind of way, not we as a family, not we as a nation. That is not the we that the Apostle Paul is saying here. That is not the plural pronoun that he is including. This is the first place, by the way, that you see we. You are without excuse, he says in chapter 2. Here Paul now is including himself in all of this, although he believed it before. This is an exclusive we, not an inclusive we. This is the we of the group of people made up only of individuals who, by God's grace and by God's doing, have believed upon Jesus Christ by faith. See, this is an exclusive group. It is not universal. It is not Paul saying to the entire world and ripping this page out for us to to read it and put on our thing and say, see, everybody in the world, look, everybody, we have peace with God. No, we don't. It is not manufactured, this kind of peace. This peace is not something that men bring. It is not by the works of men. It is not by the morality of men. This is only those who have faith in Jesus Christ alone for their justification. So it is only those. It is those only who have peace with God. Have you ever wanted peace? Maybe you're here this morning, you desire peace right now. Maybe you've settled for surface peace and yet underneath is a tsunami of trouble waiting to smash out on the shores. Peace is a glorious thought for us. And I don't want us to pass by it too quickly because of what it implies. What does this peace imply? 
Because peace in general implies something happening by way of a relationship with two parties. We read of peace treaties. We read of peace accords. Pacts, if you will. Peace pacts. We read of that. And here, specifically, this is something happening between two parties involved. It carries the idea of something happening here between us and God. Not us collectively, but us individually. We individually, if you are justified, have peace with God. We do not deal with a judge as a group. This is not the world standing before God because God has put a class action lawsuit together. This is individual. We deal with God as individuals. And so, in order for peace to happen between us and God, something has to happen on both sides. Something has to take place with both parties for real peace to be real. So if we are to have peace with God, something has to happen with both parties involved and on God's side of this transaction, something had to happen. Our condition before him needed to be dealt with. What is that condition? We all know it from our study. I'll just remind us of it back in chapter 1, verse 18 and following. Here is how our condition before God is described. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Our condition before God is one by which we are under wrath. Our condition before justification is a condition of being under wrath. We are in a condition in which there is no peace, there is only war. We are not at peace with God prior to what God has accomplished by way of justification. We are only at war. You cannot be under the wrath of God and be at peace with God. Impossible. In fact, listen to Isaiah 48, verse 2. There is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord. There is no peace for the wicked. We are, before justification, we are in that category, wicked. You cannot say in your mind or your heart, and it be real, that you are at peace with God when you are not justified with God. 
there is no peace for the wicked, the Lord says. Isaiah 57, I believe it is, verse 21, says the same thing. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter what man might say. It doesn't matter what your lips might be proclaiming. It doesn't matter... Uh, how how flowery your words may be, or how you might think about your relationship with God, if you are not justified by faith in Jesus Christ alone, you are in a category where God's wrath is upon you and there is no peace. It's only if you believe like Abraham believed. Whereby now have peace and not wrath. So think about it. Think about it. Apart from justification, apart from the guarantee of God of having been justified by His mercy and grace, apart from all that has been done for us in and through Jesus Christ, there is no peace between us and God. In other words, on God's side of the transaction, without justification, without Him declaring us righteous because of His Son and through His Son, there is no peace with God. There is only wrath. Inescapable. And so on one side of this relational equation is the appeasement of God's wrath. Our condition before God had to be dealt with. His wrath, our condition upon us, we were in a condition whereby wrath was on us, that had to be dealt with. And yet, on the other side, if you and I are to have peace with God, and thereby understand and know that peace of God in a genuine way, then our spiritual eyes need to be open to that sinful condition. The condition of wrath needed to be dealt with on God's side, and yet on our side we have to understand that we were under that wrath. Not only do we need to understand that God's wrath was upon us before faith in Jesus Christ, but we need to understand that it had to be removed by Jesus Christ. So on our side we have to realize we deserve His wrath. Listen, we share the gospel with people all the time. Many people who do not get saved, even when we share the gospel. They reject the gospel. Why? Not because they do not hear the gospel. Not because they do not hear the love of Jesus Christ, the love of God for them, or their need to believe upon Jesus Christ. Not because they're not hearing that, not because we're not saying that, or other parts of the good news of Jesus Christ that comes with all of that, but they reject and continue to reject because, in the ultimate sense, they do not believe they are that bad. 
In other words, they do not believe they are actually under God's wrath. Because they do not believe they are deserving of God's wrath. They are too good to deserve God's wrath. So here's what I'm trying to explain to us. Without knowing of the reality of our accountability before God, then from what are you being saved? If you do not yet understand that the wrath of God is on you and was on you prior to Jesus Christ, then from what have you been saved? The gospel is not, hey, listen, come to Jesus and your life's going to get a whole lot better. That's not the gospel. No. The gospel is, listen, brother, you are under the wrath of God. You are guilty before God. Even if someone hasn't rejected God outright, if they do not believe the gospel, it is because they still don't believe His judgment is for them. Why? Because it's reserved only for bad people. And I just don't need that solution. I'm not that bad. Those who spiritualize have been enlightened to the reality of their accountability before God. That is all who are truly saved. Always run to God for mercy by faith. Always. If someone hasn't run to God for mercy, even though they've heard the gospel, if someone doesn't run to God for mercy, then they have yet to understand that God's wrath is upon them and that they deserve it. Pray, pray that we would understand that. Let me say it in the words of the Apostle Paul just a few verses ago. Verse 23, not for his sake only was it written that it was reckoned to him, talking about Abraham, but for our sake also to whom it will be reckoned as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered up because of our transgression. He was delivered up for our sins. Paul's saying that. Justification was, was made available. You could be declared righteous by God on the basis of Jesus Christ who was delivered up not because you were a nice guy. Not because your sins weren't as bad as the other guy. No, because God's wrath is on you. That means that God laid upon Jesus Christ our sins. God punished Christ in our place. And therefore, it's only because of that that God can look upon us as true believers and look upon us with any favor and reconcile us to Him by faith in Christ alone. Here's the question then. 
do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that that had to happen for you to be saved by Him? Do you believe that? Do you realize that God's wrath upon you was there because of your sin? And His wrath is only turned away because He does something. He was delivered up for our transgressions, it says. He was, Isaiah 53, 5, crushed for our iniquities. We were at war with God. We hated God. And even when prior to His saving grace upon us, when we heard that His wrath was on us, that we were so sinful that God was going to judge us, even our sinful heart hated Him even more. You realize that? So what Paul is helping us to understand is that as a result of the perfect work of our Lord Jesus Christ... And that alone, all of the warring between us and God has been dealt with. And we are, both objectively and we can be subjectively, at peace with God. Because God is at peace with us. This is the first result accomplished within the guarantee of justification. Peace with God. And so, for the remainder of our time, I I just want to spend a little time thinking through the implications of that for our lives. We cannot just run past that. We cannot say, oh, I'm so glad I have peace with God and run on to the next implication or the next result because that's just going to leave a motivator behind that we need so desperately to help us live that sanctifying, obedient, faith-driven life. We cannot just run past this. I want to spend the rest of our time just looking through a few implications of what that means for us by way of our living. So here is one implication of this statement that Paul makes, that we have peace with God. Here's one implication. Because justification is a fact, and it's a fact before God and by God because He has granted us faith in Jesus Christ, because His wrath is appeased from us, we have, he says, peace with God. So here is the first implication. We have a new condition before God. We have a new condition. You have to understand this. You say, well, didn't we already talk about this? Yeah, we, we've highlighted, we've, we've, we've mentioned certain things, but, but you have to understand this by way of implication. In other words, peace is not something that we go looking for. The peace that is being talked about here is not something that we look for. It isn't something that is yet to come to us. 
It is not something that just comes and goes. No, it is our new state of being before God. We are in a state of being whereby we were under judgment. That was our condition. Now our condition is completely changed. Now we are, by way of justification through faith in Christ alone, we are in a new condition. We are a condition by which we are at peace. We have it if we're justified. That is our condition. Paul will say this again in a different way over in chapter 8. Notice what he says, chapter 8, verse 1. There is, therefore, sometime in the future, no. There is, if you look hard enough to find it, no. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's... That's the result of justification. That's the result of what God has accomplished for us through His Son, confirming it through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, stamping His approval on it. It is as complete, it is as much a reality as God is Himself forever. I'll say it in the way the Old Testament used to say it with covenants. As the Lord lives, let this happen. As the Lord lives, it is that sealed. Now somebody please tell me when God is going to go off the radar. Never. It is as done as that. There is now no condemnation. Our condition has changed. We were under condemnation. We were under wrath. Now we are in this new condition. We are in the condition by which we are under peace. So what does that mean then with our Christian living? What effect should that understanding have on our practical life? First, it means that we should think differently about our relationship with God. We should think differently about our relationship with God. One commentator called this the intellectual effect intellectual effect. I like that. What does he mean? Or what, what do I mean when I, when I say that and see that here? I, I mean that if we understand the reality of our condition before God now being a condition of peace with God because of the absolute certainty of our justification, if we understand that, then our minds... And our thinking, our intellect, our intellectual reality, there ought to be an intellectual effect upon our minds. Our minds ought to be at rest concerning our relationship with God. If you understand justification, if justification is the reality of our holy, pure, forever God who has declared it before us, if our condition was wrath before and now it's peace, and if God's the one who made it happen, you ought to have absolute surety in your mind as to who you are. not implying or saying that we never ponder our salvation, especially when we are sinful. When we are sinning, you wonder, am I saved? That's what sin does. It's one of the things sin does. 
I'm not saying we're never to think like that. We are exhorted to think like that. Paul exhorted the Corinthian church to think like that. Test yourself. See if you're in the faith. No, what I'm saying is that understanding justification is to understand that because of the heinousness of my sin and because of the need for God to deal with it, that the only way He could deal with it was to send His Son. He couldn't deal with it any other way. He had to deal with it that way or there would be no declared righteousness before Him because there is no peace with the wicked. There is no rest for the wicked. He could not have justified us by way of our means. My sin put His Son on the cross and the only way to deal with it was to send His Son and that because... He accomplished that because He has done that. Because my condition has changed from wrath to peace. My mind is at rest in all that He did in order to accomplish it. I don't worry about, gee, I wonder if God truly loves me. No, I'm settled in the reality that Christ's sufficient work for me on the cross was in fact sufficient for me. My mind is at rest. My mind is at rest. I was reminded this morning of a verse in Isaiah chapter 32, verse 17. And the work of righteousness will be peace. Isn't that great? Isaiah says to the people, the work of righteousness will be peace. The work of God's work, the work of righteousness on a sinner will be peace. We, we have peace with God. That's what Paul says. And then he goes on to say, and the service of righteousness. <laughs> I love how that says that. And how righteousness serves us, how it ministers to us, how it affects us is this. Quietness and confidence Forever. Forever. That's what it ought to do for us. The work of righteousness is peace. It will be peace. And the service of righteousness, quietness and confidence forever. That word confidence, by the way, in the Hebrew actually is the idea of security. Security forever. I am confident in my security in the hands of God. What a, what a phenomenal passage. One commentator put it this way, quote, You will never have true peace until your mind is satisfied. You will merely get some emotional or psychological experience. It may keep you quiet for a moment. It may even give you rest for a while. But sooner or later, a problem's going to arise Sooner or later, a situation's going to confront you. Sooner or later, there's going to be a question that's going to come up in your mind, maybe through reading a book or maybe through some conversation, and you're not going to be able to answer that. And so you're going to lose your sense of peace. Why? Because there is no true peace with God until your mind has seen and grasped and taken hold of 
all that you have been given in justification. So the implication is that if, if you don't have peace, if you don't have a, a sense of your security in God and, and you don't sense a, a, a subjective peace in the things, you know, people say all the time, well, I have a peace with God, and yet they're doing something totally disregarding the Word of God. How do you have a peace with God? The wicked don't have peace. You're deceived. No, if, if, you're, if, if you're not having peace, if you're not settled there, If I don't have peace, a thankful settledness in relation to my condition, my soul's condition before God, if I'm not having a settled peace there, then you, in reality, haven't fully embraced the reality or in some way you're doubting a nuance somewhere of the actual completeness of justification that has forever changed your standing before God. It had nothing to do with you. It had everything to do with God. It was by God. In some way, there is something in your heart, in your mind, maybe it's a sin that's hold, that you're holding to, something that's helping you or causing you or tempting you to doubt in some way, some nuance, some piece, some part of, of what God has truly done. And so you do not truly believe that God says what He says, that it's actual, that it's full, that it's complete, that it's accomplished on the cross. And you, through that God, through the sacrifice of His Son, has completely taken care of all of your sin, past, present, and future, and that God did all that. He removed you from His wrath and has put you under now peace. You have a condition of peace so that your mind now is at peace with God. Something is there that you're not believing. One of the implications of having peace with God is an intellectual effect. Let me give us a second implication that flows from this statement by the Apostle Paul. And I know we've been here a while, but I, I just have to get this out of me or I'll explode before tonight. There's a second one. If we truly believe this truth... And if we understand it as Paul would have us understand it, as the Holy Spirit would have us understand it, then we absolutely know that God loves us even though this side of glory we still sin. We absolutely know God loves us even though this side of glory we still sin. In other words, implied in this peace relationship that we have with God through faith in His Son is is that in spite of my own failures now, In spite of that, I know that God fully loves me. That I can never get outside of that. That I can never try in some kind of way, by way of my activity, that God will love me any more than He already has. I can never be outside of that any longer. In other words, my sin no longer tempts me to doubt my secure position before God if I truly understand justification. I am at peace with God. Now certainly I should have a practical guilt of conscience when I sin against God even now. I should. My conscience is ringing its bell. You shouldn't do that. But if I grasp the reality of justification, then my permanent condition before Him is not enemy but son. 
a loving father, he will and he must chasten me. Hebrews 12 is clear on that. Love chastens. But my condition before him will never be changed. I am at peace with God permanently because of what he has accomplished on my behalf. So the reality of understanding justification and the fact of being at peace with God takes me past the fleshly temptation to doubt the completeness of God's love for me in Jesus Christ. My sin tempts me there, but but the understanding of justification battles that and takes me past that. It doesn't open the door for license and I go, well, it doesn't matter anymore, I'll just sin. No, 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 no. If you truly understand justification, you won't do that. Here's another word. Here's another word for it. You know what the other word is for that? Assurance. If you understand justification, then then you understand God's love for you is full and complete. You have peace with God. You have assurance. You have assurance. It's not waffling. I didn't get myself into the condition of peace with God. He did it all for me. He granted me the faith to believe Him. It's all Him. So to doubt is to not believe. Let me give us another implication of this truth. Since since we as Christians are in now a condition of peace with God, then we ought to no longer fear death. Not to no longer fear death. Hebrews 9.27 clearly tells us it's been appointed to man once to die and then comes judgment. That's a frightening verse. If you are not at peace with God, Christ has defeated death. He has taken the believer's judgment. Therefore, we have been delivered from the power of the fear of death. Did you hear what I said? We have been delivered from the power of the fear of death. Satan is the power of the fear of death. We have been delivered from that. That's a very practical reality for us. Because many people, even Christians, even good Christians, are controlled by and how they live by the fear of death. But if you have peace with God, if you intellectually understand that and know that, and you know you're settled in rest, know that you, you are loved by God, then what is there to fear? Are you still afraid that God is going to judge your soul? If so, then you need to look at the doctrine of justification again. You need to look at that deeply and ask God, open my eyes to the truth of this so I can fully embrace this, so I can have victory and and walk by faith when these temptations of fear come upon me. That, folks, is practical living. That is a practical living life changer. You will live differently when you have embraced that fact. So our condition has changed. We know that in spite of sin, God loves us. We do not fear death. Let me give you a final implication. 
when we grasp that we have peace with God, then we will have greater effectiveness over sinful practices. We will have greater effectiveness over sinful practices. James tells us that when we doubt, which, by the way, is actually an exercise of unbelief, when we doubt, he says that we are unstable in all our ways. Here's what he says. James, uh, I'm going to go there. You can go there with me really quickly. This is so important. We have to understand this is practical. This is like getting some rubber on our shoes. Okay? We're not bare feet anymore. James says, James chapter 1, right? Set in the context of embracing life's trials, life's difficulties, the things God uses to, to shape us and mold us. These are the things that God uses to strengthen and test our faith. Not test to see if it's real, but test it as a way of an assayer, test real gold. Where are the impurities? He wants to clean those out. James says, let endurance, verse 4, have its perfect result that you may be perfectly complete, lacking in nothing. But if you lack wisdom, if you lack skilled living, that's what wisdom means, Sophia, the idea of, of that process of information, living it out. Skilled living, that's real wisdom. If you lack that, ask God who gives to all men generously and without reproach and it will be given to him, right? You go to God, you say, God, I don't know how to do this. I need your wisdom. You open the word of God. God gives you wisdom. And now you have to do what? Put it into practice. You have to believe it and you have to do it. You have to walk by faith. But, verse 6, let him ask in faith. Ask God with belief. Without doubting, because the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man expect that he'll receive anything from the Lord. Why? Because he's double-minded, he's unstable in all his ways. Why is he unstable? He has no idea where to go. I don't believe what God said. Why would I walk that way? It's a dangerous way. At least that's what I'm telling myself. God said it, but I don't believe it, so I'm not going that way. I'm not sure which way to go. I'm unstable in everything. Well, if we understand the truth of God, we believe what God said, if we believe that we are justified in God, we have a new condition, He doesn't, he doesn't wrap us like a, like a judge who wants to just snuff us out of life because we still sin. Yes, we need to make that right. Yes, we need to go to Him. Yes, we need to confess those sins and that relationship be. He's a loving Father who disciplines His children, Hebrews 12 says. We need to go, but we need to believe when he tells us, and we need to walk by it. Oftentimes we have trouble because we go, Lord, I want help. I need your help. You open the Word of God, he gives you help, and you say, yeah, I don't want to do that. Thanks, but no thanks. Listen, doubting God when it comes to our justification and our permanence with God can have devastating effects upon your victory over sinful practices. Devastating effects. Why? Because when we believe God, that's faith. We are to walk by that same faith. Faith isn't just for salvation. Faith is for living. We walk by faith. 
we believe God, then we as Christians strive to live according to that faith. Not doubting. Paul says it this way, Romans 6, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't let it have its victory. Mortify the deeds of the flesh. How? By starving them. Don't do them. We can do that. We can do that because we have peace with God. We know that it doesn't earn us any favor with God. It doesn't earn us any justification with God. That's a settled fact. We have peace with God. And so the fight against sin is real with us. Real. The, the penalty for sin is taken care of, but the battle against sin and sanctification is a real battle. And living by faith fights those battles. This is what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6. Very familiar passage to all of us. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand, stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. That's the word of God. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. That's doing the right thing. And shod your feet with the gospel of peace. Go and brag about what God has done to you. Tell them what God is doing. And in addition to that, take up the shield of faith, which you will be able to, guess what? Extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. You know what he's saying? He said, believe what God says. Satan's going to come. He's going to try to tempt. The world system's going to try to tempt. Your fleshly heart's going to want to go for that. Listen, believe what God says. Do what God says. You'll extinguish those things. They will subside. The fire will be put out. It won't be as difficult the next time. Paul says, faith puts out the fire of doubt. Which, by the way, is a scheme of Satan. Surely, has God said? Remember when he said that? Back in the garden. Same thing. Surely. You're not justified. Look at, look at the sin of your life. Surely Jesus, that, yeah, he died, but that, he didn't take care of that sin. There's no way you have peace with God. You can get behind me, Satan, because God said he's taking care of it. And I'm going to walk by that and not by doubt. Beloved, we have peace with God if we're justified. It is as permanent as God himself. We cannot be just one day and not just another day. It's impossible. Those who believe in Jesus Christ by faith alone have peace with God and since we do, let's live according to that knowledge and understanding by faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for your greatness to us. We thank you for the patience of your people. Thank you for the richness of your truth. Lord, we trust this will help us. Help us be people of your heart. 
desiring to do what you would have settled and rested if we know Jesus Christ by faith. Let us not doubt what you said. Let us take it to heart. Empower us by your spirit to live according to that, even when our flesh wants to say, no, 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 I don't want to do that. That's hard. I don't want to go that direction. Lord, give us the unction to fight that battle, to say no to the sinful things and yes to walking by faith in what you've said, entrusting ourselves to the one who always does what's right. Thank you for our Savior who accomplished it all on our behalf and the gift that you gave us in your Son. Encourage us, Lord, in these things we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.